Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. Beyond the, he- Beyond the Headlines, this is World Insight. Hello, I'm Tian Wei and welcome to World Insight. The IMF is a key global agency working to see financial stability and monetary cooperation. As we are facing more geoeconomic fragmentations, the impacts of climate change and inflation, the role of IMF is becoming crucial. And the call for bigger voices from developing and emerging economies in the decision-making process is getting ever stronger. IMF's managing director, Kristalina Georgieva, has been constantly traveling around the world, trying to hear different voices and work for IMF's member countries. She visited China last week. She said she had very productive and substantive discussions with the Chinese leadership, including Chinese Premier Li Qiang, Vice Premier He Lifeng, Central Bank Governor Pan Gongsheng, and Finance Minister Liu Kun. On the sideline of her visit, I talked to her for an exclusive interview, and here is our conversation. Madam Managing Director, what a pleasure to see you in Beijing. Thank you very much for the opportunity uh, to join your program. There is increasing concern about the outlook of a global economic situation. Now, from where you are, how do you like what we are experiencing now and what's likely to be the near-term potential? Let me start by stressing that the world economy has shown remarkable resilience during the last years. We have gone through the shock of COVID and then the shock of the war in Ukraine, and yet economic activity has been sustained. But inevitably, these two shocks have had a damaging uh, impact uh, for the world economy. And it is demonstrated in the uh, slower growth that we are experiencing this year. What is more concerning for us are prospects for growth in the future. We project growth to remain around 3% year after year after year after year. And that is in contrast with what we had in the decades before, where growth would average close to 4%. What needs to be done? Well, first of all, we know what works, and it is strong economic fundamentals, strong policies, strong institutions, and also to work hard for cooperation among nations. Because when we work together, everybody benefits. Geo-fragmentation, that's what IMF used to describe what's going on right now. What's your understanding of the danger that our world was further divided? I know how bad divisions uh, are for people because I lived (laughs) through the uh, era of the Cold War on the other side. Uh, And I very vividly remember how I would get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and go on queue to buy milk for my my daughter because of scarcity. And I am on one level optimistic. Why? Because we have overcome this division. The world did come together. Mm -hmm. But I'm also very concerned that we are sleepwalking into a world again that is more divided. 
so my call to policymakers and actually to all of us is wake up. A divided world is going to be poorer and less secure. Let's find the areas where we can work together and understand there are some in which if we don't, there would be devastation for our children, like climate change. Do we have to hit the wall before we realize this? We have seen most recently signs that leaders are starting to understand the damage that fragmentation would cause. And it is uh, also evident in the fact that the two large economies are talking to each other on areas of commerce, uh, on areas of finance. That is very welcome and let's have more of it. Mm. Talking about economies, we see more economies are looking more inward. For example, central banks looking at the inflation situation and trying to adjust mainly for their internal purposes without realizing or without thinking much about what might be the impact on the others. As the managing director of the IMF, what is your take on these tendencies? Let me first say that uh, there is a reason why the general public, ordinary people, have turned more inward. And it is because during the decades of uh, globalization dominance, we were a bit complacent that not everybody was benefiting. What happened? Yes, 1.5 billion people were lifted out of poverty. Yes, there has been tremendous increase in wealth, but for communities that were left behind because jobs disappeared and no measures were taken to secure their future, that globalization was unfair. So when we look into the future, we must emphasize that attention to who wins, but also who loses has to be strengthened. Now, getting to your question on central banks, what we have seen is that because of COVID and interruption of supply and because of the war, there was a tremendous pressure on prices and inflation jumped up. Central banks actually talk to each other and we have seen a great deal of coordination in monetary policy. So the synchronized action by central banks is now bringing fruits. What we are seeing is inflation finally going down. Yeah. Why is this important? Because inflation is a tax on the poor. Inflation undermines confidence of consumers and investors, and it is a drag on growth. So I want to give a big shout of support for central banks doing their job where inflation is still high to bring it down. And of course, uh, we would see in the next months more divergence in monetary policy because countries would find themselves in different places as to how successful their fight against uh, inflation is. In China, you have the situation that is very different. You do not have an inflation problem. You actually have policy space to stimulate the economy, something that most countries do not have. On the other hand, for example, how the U.S. dollars moves will have a tremendous impact not only on the U.S. economy itself, but also 
on other economies, particularly developing and emerging economies. And Madam Managing Director, understanding very well central banks are working on their own economies and inflation, rightly so, but how balanced a view the central bankers need to take in order to make sure it is not going to have more negative connotations elsewhere. What is very important is for the Federal Reserve to clearly communicate intentions so other countries can factor in the likely consequences of the uh, Fed's action. It is important also to recognize that by doing their job in the United States, the Fed, the Treasury, they have helped the U.S. economy to recover quickly from COVID. And this resilience of the U.S. economy also means that demand from the U.S. for goods and services has gone up. In other words, it does have stabilizing impact for the rest of the world. Uh, this being said, institutions like the IMF, we have a duty of care for our more vulnerable members. And we are there to help them adjust their policies, but also provide much needed financing so they can cope with the uh, pressures uh, that they are under. Mm. There are increasing interest among the developing economies and emerging ones to use their local currencies among themselves, for example, in their trade with one another. How do you see this trend? When countries are able to use their own currency, that gives them better prospects. And if, going back to your previous question, they can then weather better any changes in other economies and in other currencies. Uh, and in that sense, uh, we work with our members to help them put in place fiscal and monetary policy that makes their currencies stable and more likely to be a means of exchange in international transactions. Uh, we also work with countries to help them build local bond markets so they can mobilize uh, financing in local uh, currency to invest in their development. Mm. Talking about the developing economies, which IMF is working with so much every day, we see a trend not only in the need of infrastructure, but also industrialization. Mm -hmm. From the first industrialization all the way to the fourth and even more, this is how developing country works, isn't it? All at the same time. But that means enormous financing. Mm -hmm. And yet we are facing a time when the economic growth is slowing down for most of the economy. So how would we be able to fill in that big hole, so to speak, of financial need from these developing countries, the global south. What um, uh, was very interesting to read in the uh, recent report of an expert group that uh, advised on how climate finance mm -hmm. can be addressed was that uh, they identified three trillion annual need of finance for emerging markets developing economies, two trillion domestic resource mobilization, one trillion international finance uh, from, from private and public sources from abroad. So where is the role of the IMF? First and foremost, to help countries with the two trillion, domestic resource mobilization. What does it mean? Improve the tax administration, collect taxes at the level necessary to support the economy. We have established 
15% tax to GDP as being the bare minimum for a country to function. We have countries where this level of tax is uh, 10, 11, 12%. Help them build good uh, tax systems. Second, how public money is used. Improve the efficiency of domestic finance. And third, very important, create an environment for private entrepreneurship and private investments. Remove the areas, uh, the, the barriers for private uh, finance, mm. domestic as well as foreign. If we see an increase in resource mobilization, I mentioned before deeper domestic capital markets, more efficiency of public spending, and then as a condition for bringing more foreign capital, we have strong institutions. This is the way uh, uh, to go. There is no silver bullet. It is the hard work of building institutions and putting in place policies that benefit people. This is the lesson I l learned from my own life, that bad policies have dire consequences for ordinary people. And good policies create tremendous opportunities for lifting up the standard of living. What is likely to be the timeline? Because this is important. People want this financing right now mm -hmm. as much as possible. But of course, nothing can be achieved overnight. But this is important timeline also. Uh, on that, uh, Madam Managing Director, what is your thought? I am um, very optimistic on one thing, a recognition that um, we have to mobilize more financing for development and more financing to address climate change. Where is my optimism grounded? It is grounded in the younger generation. It is grounded in the fact that young people, they demand from us to make the right choices for their future. It is also grounded in the tremendous creativity mm. of the human race. Uh, it is grounded in the fact that I see more diversity, more women stepping into roles in business, in policy making. Uh, so yes, it is a difficult time for the world, but we have gone through difficult times before. And every time that makes us stronger. The only concern I have is complacency, not recognizing the urgency to act. So when you ask me about the timeline, well, the sooner the better. We have some critical events. COP28 in end November, early uh, December, uh, the uh, uh, midpoint summit on the S SDGs that is happening in September. Use those to go with concrete commitments. And this is what we, the IMF, would do. The debt issue for the developing countries, I know you personally, together with many leaders, have been working very hard, for example, last G20 summit, trying to provide space. Meanwhile, you have a series of events trying to put world's attention back on this as well. But um, how to avoid such uh, debt loads in the future? Well, we all know that they need financing now as much as possible 
and it's very unlikely they will be able to pay back because of the economic realities. So I don't know how to solve this problem. Um, I know you are yeah. thinking about it every day. So tell me more about what is your latest uh, thoughts. Uh, they, the best way uh, to solve this problem is not to have it in the first place. We are putting a lot of attention to work with our uh, developing countries, emerging markets, on that sustainability, on how they can more prudently approach the buildup of debt. And remember, debt is not necessarily bad. No. If you borrow to invest and your investments are prudent, they lift up growth, Indeed. you can pay back. That is only bad when money is squandered. You throw it in a big uh, black hole of uh, uh, either a project that has no future or uh, where the financials are uh, not uh, convincing in the first place. The second thing we do is when countries do accumulate more debt, to urge them to act early on debt reprofiling, debt restructuring. When the interest rates started going up, my message to the membership was act now. If you can stretch maturities, do it. If you can restructure your debt service, do it. Do it now. And when we are late and debt is already at an unsustainable uh, level, work on bringing your creditors together for a fair treatment of your debt. Because ultimately for the creditors, it is better to restructure debt than not to be served at all and lose more money as a result. I want to uh, praise uh, China for stepping uh, up into the uh, common framework. It is in China's interest to resolve problems early so economies can grow and they can be a reliable economic partner again. Uh, we have done it for Zambia, we have done it for Ghana, we have done it for Chad. Now uh, Sri Lanka is, uh, is uh, on, on, the, uh, on the agenda. But again, I want to finish where I started. The very best way to deal with the debt issue is not to have it in the first place. Be prudent, spend what you have and no more. When traveling to Africa for some reporting trip is that two things. One is whether African countries are all in debt trap mm -hmm. because GDP ratio, if we look at that, mm -hmm. some of the African countries, their debt is even smaller than some of the developed economies. Mm -hmm. Of course, as you said, in debt is not necessarily a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it means you can pay back the debt. Mm -hmm. So that's one misconception. Many of the African uh, media want to call upon the attention of the world. The other misconception is that they see their debt more to the international financial institutions, not only IMF, but also some of the others, rather than to some specific economies, for example, China or mm -hmm. others. So they want to convey to the rest of the world mm -hmm. their misconceptions, and that should be corrected. Uh, from your perspective, whether these are misperceptions and how important it is that we understand that these misperceptions are preventing us to see the real solutions. Well, the, uh, the uh, impact of the uh, pandemic uh, on Africa uh, has been dramatic. We need to recognize that the continent was going up in growth 
and that has been significantly impeded because of the pandemic and then energy prices uh, jumping up uh, when the war started. What we see is that uh, in Africa, indeed, 15% of the countries are in debt distress. It's phenomenon for low-income countries. Yeah. We have another just about 40% uh, that are nearing that distress. But there are many countries that are doing really well. So it is very important to separate those with severe problems mm -hmm. from those that are actually managing quite well. Mm -hmm. It is very concerning that the whole of Africa is cut from access to capital markets. Mm -hmm. It should not be that way. And I see an important role for us, and I, I'm grateful you're asking this question, mm -hmm. to call for differentiating where there are problems, where these problems are solvable, and where actually we have cases of uh, strong uh, macroeconomic management. I also want to, to reflect on what you said about debt to international financial institutions. Indeed, we have to be very careful when we lend to countries because debt accumulation should be a very significant concern. For the fund, we always run debt sustainability analysis. And sometimes we actually do not lend because we think that lending to the country would only increase uh, its uh, difficulties, that restructuring the debt first uh, must be done. We also, for, for Sub-Saharan Africa, we offer interest-free loans, exactly because we recognize that we should not be adding more difficulties to countries that are already in a difficult uh, situation. Uh, and I would urge us all to think about medium long-term development. Only growth, sustainable, inclusive growth can help countries overcome this problem. You, yes, we also have to restructure that when this is the only solution. Mm -hmm. But when we support economies to grow, then debt bearing capacity increases and their prospects are much, much better. About the Chinese economy, IMF has been putting out a consistent report about that. But from your perspective, where is China's economy now? What are the major challenges and opportunities for China? Well, China uh, is um, on um, a track to achieve its goal for this year of around 5% uh, growth. Because the world economy is so uncertain, because global de demand has gone down for manufacturing uh, goods, uh, there has been some slowing over the last uh, quarter, but China is going to come with 5% growth. And let's remember that by doing so, it contributes one third of global growth. The current uh, uh, challenges for China uh, the uh, property, the real estate sector, as well as lifting up consumer confidence. Uh, they, they are being addressed uh, by the uh, Chinese uh, authorities by uh, providing uh, better conditions to purchase real estate to consumers and uh, by uh, addressing interest rates, bringing interest rates down. What is good is that China has policy space. China can handle uh, these uh, challenges. More important is 
longer term growth prospects. What is holding the prospects for growth? And we came up with uh, medium term uh, projections of uh, just slightly under 4% is demography. Chinese population is uh, aging and it is productivity. It has been, uh, productivity growth has been slowing down. I would take those as opportunities on the dem demographic side, come up with strong strategy for how to increase labor uh, market participation and how to get more people into manufacturing jobs. Because what we see in, in China is a tremendous expansion of highly educated uh, college graduates and not enough people to work in the uh, uh, industries uh, of, of China. Uh, and second, take advantage of technological innovation to lift up uh, uh, productivity. Artificial intelligence brings its own risks, but it is also a tremendous opportunity for countries where the population is aging mm. to increase productivity of the labor force. We assess that reforms in China can add one percentage point to medium term uh, growth. And uh, I'm confident that China would pursue this. Thank you so much for your work. Thank you. That's all the time we have for today. On behalf of my team, I'm Tian Wei in Beijing. Bye for now.